Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the best insight and analysis on all the issues you want to debate in world football. Very pleased to say we've got a very special edition today. We're going to focus uh, later after the news on what it's like to be a Premier League player on pre-season when you've got that difficult combination of regaining your fitness and playing meaningless friendlies in foreign countries while all the time focusing, of course, on what is the start of the season. An interview with uh, England and Premier League goalkeeper Ben Foster exclusively coming up for you. We'll be doing that after the news, of course, because the news, as always, is with our transfer guru, Duncan Castles, who's going to tell us about Tottenham Hotspot, who have definitely fired into the market. Uh, Duncan, what's going on with them? Yes, I'm I'm hearing that they are um, progressing a deal that we told you about back in May um, for Giovanni Lo Celso, um, Real Betis' Argentinian um, attacking midfielder. Uh, pretty much a, a like-to-like uh, replacement for Christian Eriksen um, if that becomes necessary for Tottenham. Um, it's not going to be a cheap deal. Uh, Tottenham made a significant bid back in May, which Betis knocked back. Uh, the reasons for that is that Betis have the player on a €100 million Euro release clause, um, having taken him from PSG, exercised an option to buy this summer. Um, the the details of the option to buy are that because they paid 25 million euros to PSG to take Lo Celso, they have to give um, PSG 20% of any um, transfer fee they uh, receive over that 25 million euros, which will obviously cut down the, the profit that they expect to make in this deal. They're asking for around 75 million euros. They've stuck pretty firmly to that figure. Um, but the, 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 the word from Spain is that they're close to doing uh, a deal and that uh, Tottenham are, are particularly insistent on, on trying to get that through. Um, also, uh, interest from Betis in a replacement, which is uh, one of the options that they're looking at is Nabo Fakir from Olympic Lyonnais, um, who Lyon would like to sell. They have a problem with him and that he, his uh, contract is uh, down uh, too close to its termination, they either need to extend the player uh, with the view to selling him next summer or sell him this summer, and that's uh, Leon's preferred option. So um, Leon, I think, will be ready to do a deal for uh, significantly less money than Tottenham will pay for themselves. So that will give Betis a replacement in that position for a player who had an exceptional season for them. Um, scored nine times, five assists uh, in. La Liga. Uh, and another addition, um, if Tottenham can get this over the line, of exactly the type that Maurizio Pochettino has been looking for, which is um, very technical players who can add um, pace and uh, a, a, an extra level to Tottenham's midfield. He feels that that, that was uh, an area they, they were lacking in, in terms of getting over the wire last season. That's why Tange and Dombele has come in. Um, he wants to build a midfield around Dombele, Harry Winks, and um, if he gets him, Lo Celso, 
They also are looking to recruit at right back, um, left back, um, and they're also looking for uh, uh, forward players who can play all across the line. So there's still quite a lot of work for Tottenham to do in this window, but obviously a difference this summer to what we've seen for quite a long time and that Daniel Levy has been prepared to put down a record fee of €62 million Euros plus 10 um, of uh, variable payments for Indombele and is still in the market um, for a player who's as, as highly valued by his uh, current club as well. So. Interesting as well, Duncan, that um, our old friend Daniel Leverage uh, is doing business before the last day of the window. Normally, uh, in past at times past, we've seen Spurs do lots of business in the last two to three days um, when there's a lot of pressure on clubs to both buy, uh, sell and buy. Um, but obviously, we're still three weeks away from the close of the window. And um, I'm told that uh, Christian Eriksen, who has publicly requested a transfer uh, from Tottenham Hotspur, uh, Letting Madrid have been in contact with his representatives regarding uh, trying to discover if he'd be interested in a move, which they have responded to positively. I'm told that um, Atletico have since requested a valuation from Tottenham for the Danish international midfielder who has one year left of his contract. Uh, I'm told as well they've not yet had a response because this has happened in the last 24 hours. Although given um, history with Spurs, I suspect they will quote around the 80 million euro mark, if not north of that, um, which clearly for a player under contract for one year is not realistic. Um, So I still think uh, Atletico could well be um, part of the catalyst in the Lo Celso deal as well, um, which would be very interesting in the sense that, as I said, Tottenham are beginning to operate in a way which is much more effective uh, in terms of getting players in. They've already started pre-season. Um, Ericsson currently in uh, China with the club, uh, training there, but um, obviously looking to move. So it will be, um, I think, very effective and also a um, endorsement of the conversations which we told you about before the Champions League final um, when Daniel Levy and Pochettino sat down and thrashed out his future and Pochettino made several demands on the chairman and on the club with regards to uh, improving the squad with better players. I'm also hearing that um, they're looking to offload Victor Wanyama, um, a player who has not featured prominently uh, last season for the club, but one who I think is a very effective Premier League player. And there is some interest from West Ham United um, and two other clubs abroad, I'm told, though unnamed at this stage. So, as I said, Duncan, it looks like um, Daniel Levy is keeping his promise to Pochettino with regards to the movements in the market. Yes, and also following a strategy that, that Tottenham have liked to do, which is to, to bring their age down and, and sell um, the more established players in their squad at the right time for a profit. So you're talking about Ericsson and Atletico. Tottenham have already done business with Atletico this summer, selling Kieran Trippier to Atletico. Um, they have uh, allowed uh, Danny Rose, as they put it, allowed them to explore protective prospective opportunities with other clubs. Danny Rose, Vincent Janssen and uh, George Kevin and Kudu uh, all kept off their pre-season tour to Singapore to allow those players to be um, sold. Uh, Danny Rose, obviously, in that category, late 20s, um, all on a, a relatively high salary by Tottenham standards. 
uh, they want to sell him, move him out, replace, get a younger player in. Endo Belli, 22, Giovanni Lacelso, 23. Um, it's kind of, it's, I guess it's a bit of a compromise in that Pochettino's getting the players he wants in terms of improving the technical ability of the squad. But Daniel Levy's also uh, meeting the criteria he likes, which is when he spends on a player, uh, he's buying someone who will whose value should increase all the way through the, the, the contract he gives them, uh, the initial contract he gives them, and, and if he gives a, a, an upgrade during that period. So um, buying and investing heavily, but uh, not doing something like buying a 28-year-old where, where a high transfer fee and the high wages would essentially, from, from a balance book uh, perspective, be lost and that he wouldn't be able to sell the player on down the line. Um, but, yeah, a difference there. And um, interesting to hear Pochettino talk and confirm um, uh, on pre-season that he had been considering leaving the club, as we'd, uh, we told you um, several times. Um, and that uh, one of the elements in, in involved in remaining was the fact that they, they lost the, uh, the Champions League final. And um, he, wants, uh, he doesn't want to see the project uh, unfinished before he leaves Tottenham. Now, given the situation where, where they've sold Trippier and Rose is clearly for sale, although um, we're unsure where he might end up because uh, his age, etc., and his wage demands, that could be slightly difficult in terms of moving him out. Um, <clears throat> I'm just wondering, Duncan, have you still got a pair of boots you might want to you know, play fullback for, for Spurs next season? <laughs> <laughs> well, I played left back for a long time uh, when I was playing football, but I think I'm well outside Daniel Levy's age range and and, and also my salary demand. And your salary would be far too high. <laughs> uh, correct answer. Correct answer. Uh, and now from uh, from Tottenham and Atletico and the interest to Atletico and interest that might just pave the way for Romelu Lukaku's move to Inter Milan. It's our understanding that Mauro Cardi uh, has been attracting the interest of. The, uh, of Atletico in terms of replacing Diego Costa and as Duncan has said uh, to me this morning in every possible way uh, he would be the perfect replacement for Diego Costa um, the problem will be is Icardi uh, I'm told um, wants both uh, his salary paid in full from Inter to leave as well as a substantial commission um, which remarkably would um, be shared with his agent who happens to be his wife so uh, that's going to be problematic in terms of the cost uh, to Inter Milan of, of moving Icardi out. However, he is a difficult character. He's made it clear that he's going to be stubborn and he will not be moved easily. Therefore, mm, what a surprise. Well, if you give us this money, then you know we'll consider it. The problem I think that Inter will have is that the money they get for Icardi will probably be around 45 to 50 million euros. We know that Manchester United are demanding around 75 to 80 million pounds for Lukaku after the money they paid to Everton for him two seasons ago. Um, and so therefore, this is a very kind of non-commercially sound deal for Inter. However, and I point you to this if you haven't seen it already, our old friend Antonio Conte has been um, mocked up as some kind of kung fu hero in the Gazzetta del Sport, the very um, respected uh, national daily sports newspaper in Italy. Kung Fu Conte is the headline. He goes in hard with Inter officials with regards to getting Lukaku. Clearly, he's not happy. He wants Lukaku in. Icardi's not happy, but will not leave unless 
he's uh, obviously paid to go and paid handsomely also. Duncan, how do you read this? I mean, this is clearly a conflict between what would be a good business deal, or not in this case, and a good football deal, because obviously Icardi is not wanted um, and Lukaku is. Well, we, we flagged this up to you in the podcast um, several weeks ago that uh, Conte absolutely did not want Mauro Icardi in his squad. Um, we told you that Icardi was a difficult character and that his wife, Wanda Nara, was uh, even more problematic. And um, we predicted that uh, they would want to be paid up to leave the club and would dig their heels in and, and make it difficult from Inter because they know what Antonio Conte is like. He has a long history of behaving this way. Chelsea have seen it. Uh, Juventus saw it, um, particularly in his final season at the club. Um, they knew that uh, the Inter CEO had um, bet his reputation on Antonio Conte, um, choosing using his uh, authority to appoint the next coach and choosing Conte ahead of um, the owner's preferred target, Jose Mourinho. Um, so they knew that the, the, the ground was fertile for them um, to take maximum financial advantage of being uh, shifted out of Inter and that Conte would uh, use his weight of being the new manager uh, to try and force that move to happen. So I think this is all kind of inevitable process that you see uh, in such situations and similar a bit to what, what's happening with, um, with Gareth Bale at, at Madrid. Um, you know, Bale knows Madrid want to move him out. He doesn't want to move out. He holds the financial cards of a long-term contract, uh, play the situation in his favour. That's, that's what Icardi is doing here. I think Atletico are being clever um, in that uh, they can get the, the player relatively cheaply because, they, again, they know Inter have to sell to satisfy the coach. They know that uh, Conte wants Lukaku desperately and has prioritised him as the transfer coming in. Um, they know Manchester United will sell. They can see Lukaku on um, pre-season training with Manchester United uh, not playing a game. Uh, picking up little knocks, not even training, and Solskjaer um, being forced to publicly comment on that, um, and uh, you know, note his disdain that uh, that Lukaku has been unavailable to play. So there, there are lots of elements in the chain there, um, and Icardi's in the position to profit from it, and Atletico are in the position to profit from it. And and let's face it, Icardi has a a, a very good scoring record in Serie A. Um, this is kind of a risky move for, for Conte to make and, and he's, you know, he's been there before with Lukaku. He, he tried to force Chelsea to, to sign Lukaku and uh, ran up against the brick wall that's Marina Granovskaya. Um, but he, it looks like it will happen. It looks like Icardi will end up being moved out and that um, Inter will try and get that deal in place to bring Lukaku there. But when it does happen... Conte had better get Lukaku to perform for Inter because he's got a high target of goals um, to exceed, uh, to be deemed a, a successful replacement for Icardi. And as you say, um, Atletico, I think, uh, with uh, if you're looking for a replacement for Diego Costa, um, that's a pretty good um, approximation of, a co of, uh, of Diego Costa in terms of uh, spiky personality and ability to score goals um, and, and a physicality of, of striker as well. So, um, 
interesting one to watch as it uh, as it uh, sorts itself out across the window. And there are quite a lot of um, deals in this in this state across Europe at the moment where um, uh, transactions have been set up between clubs and they're being held up by um, a move for an individual player. Um, Jean Cancelo is one of those. I'm told that Cancelo, um, the agreement between Manchester City and Juventus is in place. I'm told that Juventus also have um, a replacement lined up for Cancelo. The block there is Manchester City are saying we have to get Danilo out um, before we complete the deal. We want Cancelo, we want to, to upgrade there, but we don't want to get stuck in a situation where the Cancelo deal is completed and Danilo is still on our books because then uh, it'll be harder to shift Danilo and, and get um, a transfer fee for him if we can get any transfer fee because I, I believe they're struggling to, to find a suitor for Danilo. Um, so they're delaying that deal um, in order to try and uh, minimise their financial loss in Danilo. And this is, Duncan, intriguing, the, the, almost the underworld of the transfer window, isn't it? Because we know of so many transactions which are dependent on other deals happening because clubs need to move a player out or they need the money or they simply just need to know, have the confirmation, at least, that they will have the funds available and so that the replacement can be bought or that the, the new player can be bought. Um, I think Icardi, uh, going back to him, is, is probably... Sometimes the stars align. And Icardi, Atletico, Simeone for me, is a perfect match the way that Diego Costa was for, uh, for Simeone as well. So I think that's one that we... I think we should keep a close eye on because I think that's one that will have that catalyst effect for Romelu Lukaku's move from Manchester United. Although you have to wonder as well, Duncan, if the money that United are expecting to get for Lukaku is partly holding up them bidding the right money for Harry Maguire. You certainly have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in a press conference uh, at the beginning of this week saying that um, they could be making transfers in of two or three players, but those players are those transfers will be dependent on transfers going out. Uh, so there's certainly a financial consideration there for Manchester United in the sense that um, uh, they want, as these other clubs are doing, they want to shift players off their books, um, shift salary off their books, make as much money for the transfers as possible before um, spending on new players. And I mean, we told, uh, told you, for example, about Marcus Rojo, um, who... Uh, only has uh, offers from China, which he doesn't want to take, um, who Manchester United would like to sell, get his um, eight million a year wages off the books, but they're asking prices twenty five million pounds. Um, and realistically, if they're going to wait till they get twenty five million pounds for Rojo before um, investing that money elsewhere, then they'll probably end up with Rojo in their squad. Um, at the end of 8th of August. So there does come a point where you have to compromise. United are probably in a better situation in terms of uh, their finances are um, so good that uh, they can afford to take a player on um, and add salary um, and still pass FFP. I think when you look at clubs like Inter, um, Manchester City as well, they are dealing with these financial regulations um, so Inter can't afford to keep Icardi on their books and add Lukaku 
and also reinforcing the other areas in which um, Conte wants reinforcement in. So they have they, they are actually blocked in that fashion. Um, only really the richest of clubs, such as Manchester United, to have a bit more flexibility. But as we as we know, um, the, the the factor there is the Glazers wanting to turn a profit each year, wanting to turn a profit, wanting to take dividends, wanting to take directors' fees out of the club. So they they put um, their own if you like, uh, the Glazers financial fair play regulations, which are um, sustained profitability, um, make the, the books look good for, for the stock market um, accounts that they put out on a regular basis. Now, the transfer window is not the only big thing happening right now because, of course, your club and every club is currently doing pre-season. Some do it on what looked like fantastical, mystical tours of the Far East or America, etc., etc. And some do it quietly in a little European country where they play a couple of games and get themselves fit. Which takes us to our exclusive interview with uh, Ben Foster of Watford, uh, formerly of England as well. And Ben was very kind to give us quite a lot of his time, actually. Take time out of pre-season to tell us exactly what it's like to be there in Austria uh, in pre-season and what it's like on a daily basis for a footballer to be in that situation. Ben, you've been uh, doing pre-seasons for a long time now. Um, I'm sure that they're the varied in terms of their enjoyment and not. Can you just give us a, a feel for what it's like to be away from home, trying to get fit for a season ahead and, uh, and being stuck in a bubble, basically? Um, yeah, I think this is my 17th um, pre-season, so uh, I've got to say that it has, it has changed over the years as well. I remember when I was um, first started at Stoke when I was kind of 18, 19, um, it was actually Tony Pulis who was our manager at the time then, and he did not want to listen to any goalie about goalies are different or anything. You were doing the running, you were doing everything that um, the outfield players were doing, and uh, Tony is known for his kind of... his big sort of work ethic is um, is grueling pre-seasons he, he's actually famous for his pre-seasons to be honest with you um, so yeah we were we were up mountains running up and running oh it was horrible um, but yeah like I say it's definitely changed now nowadays you know the goalkeepers um, we have our own sort of schedule that we keep we're, we're fairly separate from the players but then obviously we'll always join in towards the end of the session when it comes to to doing a few sort of games or six sides or stuff like that How much does it vary from manager to manager and, and club to club, the pre-seasons that you've experienced in your uh, long career? Um, it's, it does, like you say, it completely varies. It, it's, it's whatever manager, sort of, it's what they like to do, really. Um, most managers you come across have, have also been players, so they kind of pick stuff up as they go, what they like doing, what they, what they think is effective, what's not effective. Um, you know, the current manager at the moment, Javi uh, Gracia, is, I've got to say his pre-seasons are pretty good, to be fair. Um, the outfield players, they, they work very hard. Um, you know, the, that's I think that was one of our big sort of pluses from last season. Is the way we started our season was because we were so supremely fit. You know, the lads. Um, again, I've got to sort of pay credit to them as well because they they just get on with it as well. You know, I've been at some clubs where people moan and um, people are tired. And don't get me wrong, you still get your moaners and people who are all tired and achy. Um, but when it comes to the work time, they just do it, and you know that's a, that's a credit to them. How much of your time Ben has spent actually training? Are you doing double sessions? Or are you, do, are you doing single depending on which day it is? 
Um, yeah, so we do predominantly we do pretty much double sessions every every day of the week um, for the first three weeks of the season of the of preseason. So we were all, we all sort of reported back on the first of July. Um, and from that very, the, the, the first day was just testing. It was just sort of get all the testings out of the way, sort of strength tests, your, your fat tests, your body tests, your sort of, you know, VO2 max tests, all that kind of stuff. Um, and when, once that's done on the Monday, then the Tuesday, it's, it's straight into, um, into, you know, hitting it hard basically. Um, so we're doing double sessions Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then we'll have a, a single session on a Saturday. Um, and then it's off on the Sunday to recover. Um, and it's kind of needed really as well, because it gets to the point at the end of the week where everybody's just sort of on their hands and knees dying of death. Um, and so that's what we do for the first three weeks of the season. Um, so then for first three weeks, I've got to admit, are, are pretty hard. The first week in particular, because you've just had six weeks off, six or seven weeks off holiday. And don't get me wrong, you keep yourself fit and you, you do all kind of gym work and you know, treadmill runs and in, in my case, plenty of bike riding up mountains and stuff. Um, but nothing can prepare your body for that first week back where you're hitting the ground and you're diving and you're up and you're down and the aches that comes with it. Um, yeah, it's a big shock to the system. But like you say, after those first three weeks, it starts to ease off a little bit because the fitness levels are high. Um, and then it starts to, to go sort of single sessions, double session, single session, double session. Um, and then you sort of lose a double session until the season starts really. There's quite a, quite a contrast, I think, in, in Premier League clubs these days where you see see some of the clubs going on these um, global tours, very commercialised, um, maybe travelling to two, three countries half, halfway around the world. And then there are clubs like Watford who have done a, you know, a low-key um, European training camp. I, I see Ajax are, are also out in Austria, um, Champions League semi-final, was, um, doing sim- something similar to what Watford are doing. Do you, that must be a, a major difference for a footballer to have to travel globally and try and fit this, these um, heavy schedules in compared to doing it as you're doing at present. Yeah, I've got to say, um, the you know the big sort of Asia tours and um, America tours they don't really appeal to me to be honest with you. Um, a couple of seasons ago, when I was at when I was at West Brom, we we actually went out to um, Hong Kong for the Premier League Asia Trophy um, at the beginning of the uh, of the season. Um, and it was it was an absolute disaster. It was um, it was middle of sort of typhoon season. It rained solidly for pretty much ten days. Sorry, nine days out of the ten days. Um, for for uh, we did we couldn't train for about five days. It was ridiculous, really. We because it was it was so wet. It was like the the rain was incredible. Um, we had to do sort of training sessions inside the hotel in a big hall. I remember at one point we were running up and down corridors. You know, it was it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and then at the end of the season, we got relegated. So, <laughs> um, <Sorry>. no, uh, <laughs> so I'm not a big fan of those sort of far flung tours. I'm not. I'm really not. Um, we did the same um, here last season as what we've done this season. We came away to to Austria to the same place, the same hotel. Um, it's a lovely place. It really is. They've got all the all the training grounds great. You know, it's a really nice setting. There's mountains everywhere. Um, there's plenty of stuff to sort of keep you occupied. Um, and it's exactly what you need. You can just focus on, you know, you can focus on getting the fitness in your legs. There's not so, you know, there's no temptations near to you where, you, you know, you're not going to be out in bars or anything like that, you know. Um, it's just a real nice place to get your head down and, and know that it's going to be a week of hard work, but, but good, enjoyable work as well. I've heard a lot of players, uh, Ben, complain about pre-seasons being boring because you are away from home and you're kind of, all you're doing is training. And what, I mean, do you guys get some downtime? I mean, are you just too tired to even think about having a game of table tennis or FIFA or something? 
Yeah, you don't, honestly, you don't really want to, you don't want to do too much stuff like that. Um, we, don't get me wrong, in, in the afternoons, because we, we start training at 10 in the morning until probably about 12-ish. Um, and then we'll have lunch at half 12. And then we don't start training again until five o'clock at night. Um, so you have a good few hours in the afternoon to kill. Um, so we might get together in groups and, you know, play some games on our phones where you can all sort of link up and whether it's, like, you know, sort of like a golf game or something like that or one of these sort of quiz games where you get, you know, five, six people all link up and, you know, a bit of competition like that, which is fun. But, you know, predominantly you spend it in your bedroom sort of watching Netflix, sort of <laughs> bored out your head really. But um, it's kind of essential though. You have to do it, you know, because you, the, the training is so hard. You've got to recover when you can and you don't want to expend any, any excess energy. How does um, Javi Garcia work with the team in terms of tactical um, aspects during pre-season? Is it, does he introduce new um, setups and new ways of uh, uh, approaching games in that, that period of training or is that something that only happens during the season proper? No, no, no. This is this is where it all starts. This is exactly where it all starts. So pretty much every team will, the manager will, will want to sort of, will have plans for what they want to do this season, whether they want to tweak a, a slight style of play, whether they want to sort of press higher from the beginning, whether they want to sit back from the beginning, all that kind of stuff all starts um, pretty much from the first week of training. So like I say, we start training at 10 o'clock in the morning here um, the first probably hour or so is fitness work for the lads it's a lot of running it's a lot of shuttle work it's sprint work it's high intensity um, and then the second hour will be a lot more sort of tactical teamwork where the whole team will come together the goalies included and we'll work on what the manager wants us to do basically so um, we'll get in sort of a, a starting 11 position two starting 11s almost and then we'll work on doing what he wants us to do um, and then that second part, second session, sorry, that starts at five o'clock is a bit more, a bit more sort of fun and a bit more sort of technical, really, where it's a bit more sort of like six sides or um, shooting or crossing and finishing or something like that, um, because the lads have already done the hard work and all the sort of, you know, tactical thinking work in the morning. As a player, Ben, do you get quite excited by <clears throat> the idea of like, you know, you say tweaking things that you do, maybe at set pieces or formations and stuff like that because you know it's, it is kind of a new approach if you like from last season and I know players can get quite bored of playing in the same way all the time and you know they they feel like well we all know who's going to be subbed at 65 and who's coming on and stuff like that so actually to get some new input is that, is that quite a kind of a nice way of uh, starting the season off yeah it is it's um it does it gives you that kind of oh you, you're not sh- quite sure how it's going to go when it's sort of put into practice do you know what I mean when when the season kicks off on sort of the middle of middle of August sorry you, that very first game and you're trying to implement what you've been putting what you've been doing in training um, you're not sort of fully quite sure until until it's there and that's the moment um, you know we've got a new rule this season as well is is the one where the goalies can what, they can play out from the back from a goal kick and the, the defenders can come inside the, the 18 yard box can't they to receive the ball but as soon as I as soon as I touch the ball from the goal kick the app the, the opposition, you know, strikers can come and attack the ball straight away as well. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to look at and work out and sort of get get sort of a grasp of really because I guarantee there's teams like Man City that are putting stuff into practice where they, <laughs> they're going to know what they're doing. You know what I mean? As soon as the ball goes out of play, they'll have the ball down on the edge of the six-yard box and they're off without, you, without even thinking about it. So everybody else is going to have to think of something as well. Talking about new rules, um, what are you doing in terms of preparing for the new penalty kick rule? 
Um, what, do you think yeah. of it? what do you think of it? And what are you? How are you preparing for it? Well, some of the some of the things you saw over the summer were were just sort of you know a little bit farcical, really, wasn't there? With with regards to the sort of goalkeepers moving off the line, and this one gets stopped and pulled back, and then other people do it and get away with it. And um, for me personally, I, I, it's a bit unnatural, sort of having one one foot off the line as you as the goal as the penalty kick's being taken. Um, it almost sort of gives away which direction you're going to go because if you've got your right foot out, that's that sort of would indicate that a goalie's going to dive to his right and <laughs> vice versa. So um, I think most goalies will will try and keep it the same where they both keep keep both their feet on the line. And uh, Ben, you've had um, we were at the transfer window podcast as you know, so you've had four full uh, moves and eight loans, I believe, in your career. Wow. Um, talk us through the mechanics of how that how that works. I mean. You know what it is for, like for you as a person, um, for you and your family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also the worry about you know things coming off or not, because obviously in some of this, these cases these things are in doubt for some time. Yeah, it's um, it is. It's a bit of a stressful time to be honest with you. Um, you know, going back to a couple of years ago when I left West Brom, um, I let you know the season finished, and unfortunately, like I say, we got relegated. It was um, it was a big blow to everyone involved. I'd been there seven years and really enjoyed it. Um, and like I say, there was no there was no thinking of trying to leave or anything like that. It wasn't wasn't until sort of getting towards the end of my of my break that you know we got a call that that West that sorry that Watford were in talks with the with West Brom trying to sort of you know do something and um, it is it's a bit of a stressful time really. Um, there's lots of there's there seems to be so many sort of phone calls that take place and it's always a long winded affair. It really is. You know, I don't think I've ever heard of a a transfer, you know, going through with within a few hours or anything like that. It's almost like it's a cat and mouse game between clubs trying to, you know, one's obviously trying to get as much as they can and the other is, is trying to pay as little as they can. Um, and then you've got the player in the middle as kind of, you know, in a bit of limbo. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not a nice, it's not a nice thing to, to go through. Um, especially as a player as well, you know, know that you're going to be moving, um, to a whole new club, maybe in a new area. You're, you're going to have to uproot your family. The kids might be in school, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a weird one, really. Of all the, of all the transfers you've been involved in, been activated by the buying club or have, has there ever been a, a, a situation you've been in where you've, you've pushed for the transfer yourself? Um, there was a, obviously a little bit of a, a thing in, when, I, when I was leaving West Brom um, the club I don't want to go into too much crazy detail yeah. because you know it's not sort of something I want to do but um, the club sort of they made promises and then they kind of went completely back on them and um, so it was it was you know a chance for me to come and play you know carry on playing Premier League football it's a club that I already knew and you know I knew a lot of people here already and it felt like home when I was there last time Watford did um, so that was a, a case where I had to really push for it. Um, also, you know, it, it's it's different as well with different moves. I remember when I left Man United, um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't playing at the time. I was third choice goalkeeper. I wanted to move. Um, the club knew that I probably needed to move, and we were coming up towards the end of the season. I remember Sir Alex Ferguson pulling me into his office and said, "Listen, do you want to move?" And I've said, "Yeah, I think it's probably best." He said, "I totally agree." Um, and then, and then he said, "We've agreed a deal with Birmingham." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, good job!" I said, "I wanted to move then." Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, that's you know that's that's the way it goes. Though you know, I think it's there's so many, you know these these football clubs, the, the the top guys at the football clubs must talk a lot more than what you think of really. Um, so yeah, that deal was all, almost pretty much done before I'd even had a say in it, but um, it worked out in the end. You described Ben about all the different the stress of the different toing and froing of phone calls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How much of each of that are you informed about, or do you just leave it to your agent to sort all that out, and you just get the kind of the information as it's needed or do, you, or do you like to hear every bit, every sort of little sort of crank of the wheel, if you like, of, of the mechanics of the transfer? I think um, I think when you're younger, you probably try and find out as much detail as you can. You know, you're always on your phone to your agent trying to get him to sort of eke some information out of the club or the buying club or the selling club just to, to try and find out how far along the process is. Um, when you get a little bit older, um, you know how it works and it's just going to listen. I'll, I'll happily say to my agent, listen, mate, don't don't ring me until it's, it's essential or something's really needed because it's still all just sort of back and forth and back and forth and it's amazing how many phone calls need to be made. Um, but yeah, there is. There's, it does. It takes a long time. It's as simple as that because it's, it's like I say, it's a game of cat and mouse. Really, one one team don't really want to pay a lot of money, and the other team want to get as much as they can, and um, it'll always be the way. As as journalists, we're uh, we're always interested in the transfer fees, mainly because the audience is interested in the transfer fees. As a, as a player, do you want to know how much has been paid for you? No, I couldn't care less. <laughs> I couldn't care. <laughs> less. Um, no, I think as, as players, um, you just want it to get done. I think that's the, the main thing for a player is um, you try and you you you've got to sort of stay out of it as much as you can, really, um, and let them um, kind of come up with some sort of solution. Uh, I think if you go sticking your oar in too much, it does it can sort of rock the boat a little bit. Um, but no, as players, you're not really interested in in what the transfer fee is. You just you just want to get the green light to go ahead and, and start doing your medical. And tell, tell us about the medicals. Um, we were discussing before we came on here about uh, the medical you had when you, you, you came to Watford and the length of time that that takes. Is, um, have you noticed the, the intensity of medicals change through your career? I think they've they've changed as I've gotten more injuries, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> so um, the more operations on my knee I've had, I've had tend to have a little bit longer in the scanning machine. But um, no, so this is basically, it, it works like this, you know, eventually when the deal's sort of been agreed on both parties, then you will get the phone call to say, okay, listen, you, your medical's booked in for this day at this time, which is normally tomorrow, basically. So as soon as the deal's agreed, it's right, tomorrow you're going to go in the morning and it's a whole day affair, the, the, the medical is. First of all, you'll go to a scanning facility somewhere um, near to the, to the club um, and it's you are you're in a you're you're in an MRI scanner for probably the best part of three or four hours. Um, they'll do all like as a goalkeeper, it's, you, you need to have all your shoulders, your elbows, um, and then you obviously when you've had problems with your knees, they need to do the the most detailed scan of your knees they can possibly do. Um, so in all, you're probably in the scanner for about four hours. Um, you don't ever get out of it either. They just sort of. They just pull the machine back. They change. They change like the straps, the little things that they wrap around your knee or around your ankle, around your shoulders. Um, you might have to go in head first. You might have to go in feet first. Um, but that's that's that done. And then once you've done that, you have to go and have all your heart scans and checks, which again takes probably another hour, hour and a half. Um, that's a long old kind of you know. I, I think when you when you 
doing your heart. You always just want to make sure that your heart's all right, to be honest with you. Um, and then that's all done. Then you have to go and see the specialist to, to actually have a look at your scans. And he will kind of like, in my example, like I said, I've had so many knee sort of operations that he needs to look in so much fine detail at everything on that scan. He'll get me doing little exercises in weird little positions. He'll push and pull and prod me um, to make sure nothing hurts or nothing is a little bit strange. Um, and then once that's done, um, I think that's pretty much it to be honest with you. Um, Oh, there is another, there's another horrible scan that you have to have actually. There's one I had to have where, um, you're in an MRI scanner that is for your heart. It's another one that's for your heart. You, you have to have this, basically they put you on a, they put a cannula in your arm and they inject this sort of purple dye as well. Um, then they wheel you into the MRI scanner and you've got these headphones on and you have to breathe and hold your breath for, I don't know, it takes about half an hour, but that is one of the worst scans you can do. It's horrible. Um, and then hopefully everything's got the green light and everything's good. You will then go to the training ground and you will basically sign your contract and that's it. Sounds quite nerve wracking, Ben, to have yeah. all those different yeah. scans. And, and at the end of it, think, what if I, what if I don't pass? Yeah, exactly. So you've been you've been in sort of limbo for you know in some cases weeks trying to get the the deal to to get over the line, and then you've got the next sort of stumbling block, which is the medical. And like you say, if if you if something flags up that you didn't even know about or wasn't aware of, um, or that the, just that the club might not be happy with, you know, if you like I say if you've had a, a, a few recurring injuries on a hamstring or a knee or something, and and it flags up and it shows a weakness and. You know the club are well within their rights to say no. You know we we're not sure that you're going to be able to you know stay fit really. Um, and that I, I thankfully it's never happened to me. But I can imagine if that comes up, then that is a oh that would be heartbreaking. Ben, we're um, really really pleased to have had you on, and it's been very kind of you to give us your time and also your insights into pre-season. Much much appreciated. Um, we want to wish you well for the season ahead with, with, with Watford. And then also with the rest of pre-season as well, it sounds like there's still a lot of hard work to be done from what you've told us. Thank you very much, Ben. Cheers, guys. Pleasure. Please say that we are joined once again by our friend Kevin Affleck, um, who is familiar with the Transfer Window podcast listeners. Kevin's currently in Austria on tour with Watford's pre-season. Um, what's it been like, Kevin, in terms of... You've obviously been in pre-season before with the club. How has that developed? Is it much different? And how about Watford's development as a club now that they're a five-year Premier League survivor, if you like? Yeah, uh, it's been a, a fascinating insight. Um, it's kind of, I always say to people, it's, it's, it's a kind of a real peek behind the curtain and you don't really appreciate the, the tactical work and, and the technical work and the physical work that goes in until you see it firsthand. I've been very fortunate to be at every session so far and anybody who thinks these kind of trips are a bit of a, a holiday um, are, are very much mistaken. The players are kind of been crawling off the, um, off the, off the training field. They're putting that much work in, but it's interesting they put all the hard work in, in in the morning and then the afternoon session kind of in early evenings, very uh, technical. But it's just a great glimpse in, into kind of how a top-level coach like Javi Gracia works. Um, and you can see why he's had the success he's had through his career, particularly at, at Malaga and more recently at, at Watford last year. Um, very, very hands-on, um, great attention to detail. And he's got this image, particularly in, in, in leafy Hertfordshire, but just outside Hertfordshire of being this nice guy. But believe me, when it comes to training, he kind of switches and he's got kind of that um, that ruthless streak, that demanding streak, which is not too dissimilar to what you saw um, um, of Pep Guardiola in that 
um, Amazon Prime documentary. So I don't know if it's a trait of a Spanish coach, but it's fascinating to see. He's probably one of the nicest guys I've met in football, but if he doesn't see something he likes in, in training, uh, boy, do the players know about it. Do you expect to see some developments in the way Watford play this season? From what you've picked up in pre-season so far, it's his, it's his, his second full pre-season with the club, third season going into the Premier League. Do you expect an evolution in the way they play this season or, or more of what, what they did last year? Yeah, it's a very good point, uh, Duncan. I, I, I had a chapter kind of one of the analysts and kind of last season was their first full season um, together as, as a group. They, they came in, in in January the previous season. So there is there is a feeling about not standing still, not resting on your laurels and, and the analysis that goes into the Premier League matches these days is, um, is, is forensic almost. Um, so they know, they teams are going to know what they're about. They know what they're going to expect. So they're going to kind of um, have to increase kind of their... Uh, Arsenal be a bit more agile, be a bit more versatile, and have a few more um, more game plans up their sleeve. Um, I think the the basis of what they'll do will remain very much the same. They're, they're an extremely work hard in hard working side, and perhaps perhaps just have a, a sprinkling of a of stardust going forward, and perhaps evolve the attacking play. But um, their set piece work was was second to none last season, so I expect them to. Um, to add, an, add another couple of chapters to the um, to the playbook, but yeah, you're right that they will need to evolve because you, you stand still in in the Premier League and and, and you're toast really. I think that's a, a very good point, Kevin. I, I, a lot of teams um, have been worked out quite easily in the Premier League and suffered as a result by going down. And um, it's it's essential to have a coach who can be progressive and realise that there has to be not just a plan A but plan B and plan C as well. If you if you're going to be able to compete. Uh, with any team never mind uh, with the teams around you yeah absolutely and, and I don't think there's any more progressive coaching than, than Javi Grassier he's, he's fully immersed into this project he, um, he lives and breathes the project he came back from um, uh, his holiday early um, to kind of put the plan together for pre-season I think he was seen when the fixtures were released and um, they got uh, Brighton on the first day he had the, was seen in the fi- with the fixture list in his hand, walking around the training ground, he colour coded it so that the plan started within minutes of of the um, fixture list being released. And and yet, you've, I've, I've seen other Premier League coaches kind of in all sorts of corners of the globe taking their taking their break and and, and a well deserved break. Don't get me wrong, but this guy just doesn't stop working. Um, he was always looking for that kind of marginal gain, always looking to evolve the team, always looking for that edge. Um, and Watford will be nothing if not prepared this season. The Pozo family are famous for their transfer dealings. I think there's just been one permanent transfer into the club so far this summer. Craig Dawson um, ar- arriving from West Bromwich Albion um, on a four-year deal, I believe. Um, are you surprised they haven't been more active in terms of incoming players this summer? Uh, possibly. Um, when they first came into the Premier League, um, it was kind of a, a double-figures um, approach to, to new signings. Um, and the recruitment was very, very different then. They had to recruit a very different um, profile of, of, of player. But if you look at Watford's squad, it's, it's, it's very impressive. It's quite deep. Um, and I think they're now very much going for the, the quality over quantity approach. And this is a team who, I think they were they were um, seventh for, for large parts of the season. They, they faded kind of just slightly towards the end, but they reached an FA Cup final. And to go to the next level, they're going to need that... Um, extra calibre of player they're, they're going to be shopping in a, a slightly different market so I know they're working on deals um, 
they don't stop working on deals. I don't think they, even when the windows close, they're always working on the next move. So they're just kind of biding their time and trying to get the right player at the right price. And that's important, get the right price. You look at signing Craig Dawson for five and a half million. And I think it's a very, very, very shrewd signing. I think he's going to add some steel to that back line. But you're looking at him for five and a half million. And then there's talk of Maguire um, going for 80 million. So you just look at kind of the value for money they're getting and that's what they'll they'll look to get first but they'll, they'll buy their time and, and I think um, what for fans know by now you you just trust trust the Potsos you trust um, the chairman and chief executive Scott Duxbury and you trust the technical director Filippo Giraldi because their their track record just speaks for itself And which other positions would you expect them to uh, recruit in? Yeah there's talk they possibly need uh, a, a, another defender I think they're very very well stocked in central midfield um they possibly need a bit of competition um, out wide in the wide positions. Um, a few names have been mentioned um, in, in the media, but yeah, I think they might just need a bit of stardust just, just going forward just to add that kind of bit of um, unpredictability to the attacking play. And, and so they've got a, another, another weapon, another ace up their sleeve, but they've got the basis of, of a very, very good, solid Premier League team. So it will just be kind of, subtle tweaks, um, evolution rather than revolution and just build on on the fine recruitment they've done over the past four seasons. Kevin, always a pleasure to have you on the Transfer Window podcast and we look to forward to having you back again soon. Uh, good luck with those double sessions in the Austrian Alps. The, I'm sure the altitude's causing you a bit of problems with the old lungs when you're doing that fitness in the morning <laughs> with the boys. I've just got to make sure I've got plenty of sun cream on. <laughs> I often have that problem it's got to be the case that when, when the players are doing those double sessions I just wonder what it is you're doing at the same time you did see we're watching them so we'll take your word for it it's fair thought for me <laughs> as always <laughs> thank you very much Kevin speak to you soon so from the arduous challenges uh, for players and media of pre-season to the arduous expectations and experiences of the most hated transfer saga of this window so far. Yes, we're bringing you the quick fire round and we're not going to be positive. We're just going to basically shoot down the two subjects that Duncan and I think are really boring us to death with regards to uh, hanging on and hanging on. Duncan, I'm going to hand over to you first. What is the one that's annoying you, the one that you're disliking the most of this? And remember, we've got three weeks left in England, but probably four and a half in Europe. So, choose well, my friend. Um, I, I think the, uh, the the most enervating transfer saga would have to be Gareth Bale's um, because it's not just this window. It's been going on pretty much since he left uh, England um, for Real Madrid. Um, Manchester United attempting to bring him back on several occasions. Um being teased, I think, by by Bale and his representatives in, in terms of uh, uh, we would be interested in that move. And then we get to this summer where um, Real Madrid make it categorically clear that Gareth Bale has no place in the squad, that Zinedine Zidane does not want to work with him um, this season. Um, try and push him to uh, every club who's got... Um, any hope of, of meet, meeting his uh, his demands for um, salary and uh, high quality golf courses, and uh, and get pretty much nowhere. Um, and and um, Bale, I think, is stubbornly uh, sitting there saying, "I don't want to leave. Um, if you want me to go, it's going to cost you a lot of money." 
Um, and uh, I think he's the he's the big block here. Um, it's unusual because you don't you don't generally have players of his standard faced with a situation where uh, they've been told they're not going to play and they're told they're not wanted, um, and they're you know, still perceived as one of the top talents in world football, and uh, doesn't appear to be interested in playing football anymore, uh, which is quite what, sad. Were you surprised, Duncan? that he didn't turn up for open qualifying uh, in Scotland uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, perhaps he was involved in the early qualifiers and that's, uh, that's why he hasn't been considering offers from clubs while focusing on his, uh, on his five iron. <laughs> <laughs> Which has your face indented on it, of course. Uh, okay, my, uh, my most hated transfer saga so far in this window also extends to other windows um, and I'm sure the Geordie nation will unite behind me in saying Mike Ashley what the hell are you doing We've, you've had several offers from the club apparently you still haven't sold uh, it's all looking a bit of a shambles um, first of all it's Peter Kenya's consortium then it's another one from Qatar um, and still <clears throat> you're in charge um, I very much doubt you can ever even drive down never mind show your face in the big market mate so um, please 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 sort it out because um, I think the Geordie nation deserve better uh, and Steve Bruce um, who's been appointed manager is not the man to take the club forward he's the man to take the club back to the uh, prehistoric age I suspect um, and that's not good enough for a club like Newcastle United so um, sort the transfer saga out please I don't want to be having the same conversation uh, in a month's time, in six months' time, or a year's time. That's it for Friday's Transfer Window podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that great interview that we had with Ben Foster and Kevin Affleck regarding what it's like to be on pre-season. Um, as always, we will be back next week to bring you all the latest transfer news. Um, until then, if you want to continue the debate, then please do so on our Twitter handle, at Transfer Podcast was Duncan personally on at Duncan Castles and me at Garbo SJ. Uh, if you like the podcast, we know you do. And if you haven't done it already, please go onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. It helps us expand the community, which by the way is expanding incredibly by the day. 210,000 of you listened in the last month alone. That's quite incredible. And we say thank you very much to all of you for that and for your support. Until then, we'll see you through the transfer window on Monday. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>